Less than 24 hours, Georgians will be under a shelter-in-place order. McDonald, though, said he did not know the man was handcuffed and was trying to use his foot to pin him to the ground so he could be handcuffed. If your friends, neighbors, or local organizations are not complying, report them to us. Hello and welcome to the Free Georgia Podcast. My name is Jake Green. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a little bit of an update. Two weeks ago, we did an episode with Ted Metz, who's running for Secretary of State, and that episode has been taken off YouTube for spreading misinformation. Um, it's our first ding on our YouTube account, so not that big of a deal, but there's definitely going to be more dings. I would like to clarify and reiterate that we did not spread any kind of misinformation last week. Everything we talked about has been um, proven, verified, all that good stuff. So if you'd like to listen to that episode, you can go to anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, yeah, because it ain't going to be on YouTube. Um, it's also going to be on Ted Metz's Rumble channel. So go to go to Rumble and you can search for Ted Metz and you can find that episode. Great episode. Um, because of that, I have a feeling that we're going to be getting more strikes in the very near future. So over the next couple months, I'm going to be transferring our entire catalog over to Rumble and Odyssey so that we can be more self-sufficient, more resistant to censorship. <laughs> and uh, it's also easier for y'all to provide financial support for this show um, through those platforms than it is YouTube. So we will start looking for those. If you don't have Rumble or Odyssey, make an account because Odyssey is very, very um, impervious to, to censorship and any type of shutdown of a platform because it's, it's based on the blockchain. So, um, yeah, if you find this conversation or this podcast or anything about this show entertaining, informative, um, if you just like the show, um, I would strongly suggest that you click the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you listen or watch this show on. Um, drop a like, leave a review, comments, share it. And if you're interested in any of the messages of liberty that we talk about, you can go to libertarian or you can go to lpgeorgia.com um, to learn a whole bunch about our party and possibly join if it strikes a chord with you. So without further ado, let's meet our guest for today. Today we have Mr. Cody Robinson joining us. Cody, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Um, tell us about yourself. Like, what do you do for a living here in Georgia? Uh, I live over outside of Atlanta uh, with my family. I'm a father and husband, uh, two kids, and uh, also a professional stuntman for movies and television. Um, so nice. I've been doing that for almost 10 years now full-time uh but prior to that i was a police officer for five years uh over in alabama okay. i did that protected and served in and i uh, got out of it to go into the movie business so uh yeah that's where i am currently how's that transition <laughs> i mean i i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it for the world knowing what i know now obviously but i, I left before things got got really bad on the on the police front and whatnot but we just you know you can't you can't raise a family uh and be a police officer these days you really can't i mean i saw too many guys uh you know on their third fourth marriages sometimes i saw a lot of guys that you know paying three or four kids child support every single month take basically their entire paycheck um which was almost nothing 
Um, right. Police officers in Alabama at the time I was there were making the majority of patrol cops were making under forty five thousand dollars a year, mm. um, and on top of that you're getting shot at and you know stabbed <laughs> like try, people trying to stab you people trying to like constantly get one over on you trying to sue you trying to do all types of stuff and so it's like there's there it's not as cushy as people think it, it was for police officers for years there are things like the the police benevolence association and things like that that try to take care of you if something bad happens to you yeah they do stuff for police officers even unnecessarily sometimes but you know it's that extra buffer built in to protect these guys that are already out there like risking everything uh to do that job that nobody else wants to do so but i I got at it because I just I saw the opportunity in the stunt world. Like I was already doing, uh, I was a prof- professional parkour athlete for since. Uh, let's see, I started doing parkour in 2006, early 2007, uh, when I went to Auburn. Uh, when I, I was there at Auburn doing a criminology degree, um, so finally finished that after I had to stop whenever I went into the police department and I had to stop and get and go back and get my degree as I was policing. But yeah, knocked that out. And then I was at Opelika PD for four years and then uh, Auburn PD for one. Uh, until I finally was like, yeah, I like, I like doing this, but I don't want to be like living in a, a broken dilapidated house with, mm. uh, you know, a, a car that if it breaks down, I'm on the, my last leg and, right. and, you know, wife, I, w- I would like for her not to have to work at, at the time. I was like, I would love for my wife not to have to work so she could raise our children. Cause we just had two kids. So it was, mm. it was one of those things we, we made the, the jump and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do better doing something that I love uh, and that I think that is kind of like my, my destiny. Cause I was kind of like training that kind of stuff my entire life, you know, like doing stuff with fights and guns. I've been a lifelong martial artist uh, in the, all the parkour stuff. And I was just kind of always been a calculated adrenaline person, not a, not an adrenaline junkie, but I'm the kind of person that likes to do a little more dangerous stuff sometimes because I've, I've thought it out, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and this, the idea of film and acting always appealed to me. So I uh, decided to do that. And it, I wouldn't regret it one day. What, uh, like, how was that transition? Like, what was it like going from being a cop to, like, pl- I guess maybe playing a cop in a movie? <laughs> uh, well, it's not, it's not quite the answer a lot of people would expect. It's like whenever you get into policing, you know where you're going to be every single day. So, like, mm-hmm. you, we would work four days on and four days off, 12-hour shifts. Uh, usually starting depending on the department mom was either 5 a.m to 5 p.m or 6 a.m to 6 p.m at the second department that i was working at no sorry got that backwards it was six six and then five to five gotcha. um but it's one of those things where you kind of know where you're going to be when you're working but you don't know what's going to happen during the day i mean that's that's exciting that part but you hey i'm going to be at the police department or in my car doing this kind of stuff every, every day and then on my off days i'm pretty much just getting family stuff done house stuff done and relaxing because i'm dead from the week before because you're working 12 to 14 hour shifts depending on if you got a call at the end of your shift and have to do all the paperwork and evidence and traffic accidents and stuff that, you know it just kind of creeps on into your next day and then you never have those four days off because you're you're doing court days and you're doing uh you know uh voluntold overtimes you know like you gotta <laughs> work a ball game or work a work traffic detail or something like that so you, you're never off right mm. and i was on the swat team uh, uh for about a year and a half at opelika just to, enough to get through some some training and uh, and kind of like on you know on par with the other guys so that I could be on the team and whatnot. And then when I got to Auburn, I couldn't do that anymore. So I was kind of, I was kind of getting a little burned out working in a college town. Uh, you know, <laughs> all, all that kind of, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of public intoxication, a lot of, a lot of DUIs, uh, a lot of, a lot of fights and things like that, which are the, the fights are great. Cause you know, I, I, I love a good scrap or, you know, the, the, the ability to go break that up and keep somebody from getting seriously hurt or, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, uh, 
it was definitely a big change because once you get into the movie business, it's, it's like, no one is telling you what you have to do to be successful. Mm. Right. Like when you're, when you're a police officer, you know what you got to do to be successful. You got to go out and you got to make contacts. You got to like talk with people. You got to stop suspicious folks, you know, with, that you have probable cause to stop. You have to uh, work all these, you know, uh, different uh, like protective details where you're like taking care of folks. Like you're the person that's just there security. It's pretty, you know, straightforward. Uh, and then you get in the movie business and it's like, there's no, there is no guidebook on how to do this. So you get in and it's like, wait, how do I, how do I get a job? And like, that's the first thing that nobody knows how to do. And you're like, well, like, you find out through other people and through just watching and observing that the way you get a job is literally just by at the time before COVID, the way <laughs> you get a job is like, find out where the movies are, the TV shows that you wanted to work on, which studios they were, you know, they were filming at. And then you had to either get a job as an extra or get a job as something to kind of figure out who the stunt co coordinator was or subscribe to a service that would kind of send that to you for a fee. Mm -hmm. And then either send your resume in, but even better would be to hustle them, which means just to kind of like find, which you know this, you know, yeah. having somebody in the industry <laughs> that you know, but um, you have to find them and then like personally hand them their a headshot and resume and kind of make that extra effort. Like, hey, you're hiring. I want a job. Um, love yep. to work for you. Here's my skill set. You know, here's, and from there on, that's, that's kind of how you get going. And then you have to kind of like build your reputation. And there's a lot of politics being played constantly by other stunt mm -hmm. people and other people in the industry. And, Sometimes, uh, sometimes you screw up and tick somebody off, or sometimes you didn't even do anything wrong, and people just don't like you because you're directly competing with them, and people get really dirty and nasty, and uh, you don't ever know who's on your side, uh, you know. Uh, and yeah. it takes a long time to kind of develop a close friend group that you know you can trust these people. You know, these people are looking out for me, and they want the best for me and my family. Uh, but you know, when you first start, it's it's chaos. So it's like the opposite <laughs> of being on the police department. Like police department was like, I knew who my buddies were. Like yeah. they're, they're my other cops that I'm working with. There was, there's only like usually one or two that are kind of a little shifty. And you're like, that guy's going to get arrested one day. Like that guy's going to get fired. Like he's, you, everybody kind of knows. Right. And it's kind of passed along or, you know, people keep their eye out kind of like, do we need to turn this guy in for whatever, you know, whatever reason, nothing real dirty, just kind of like, Hey, this guy doesn't handle the public right. Or this guy, uh, you know, like, I don't like the way he speaks to people and it kind of cuts corners or something like that. Like, yeah, you know, those guys aren't going to make it like it's, at least at the departments I was working at. Um, you know, they've, they've gone through entire regime changes ever since, you know, they get new, new, uh, new chief police and all that kind of stuff and new sheriffs and whatnot. And, um, but yeah, a lot of times the people get worked out of, of, of policing. People don't realize that in sm especially in smaller areas, not like big cities, but I know for sure, like in small town America, you know, where you're talking about Opelika, which was something 60 to 80,000, depending on the year you're talking about and Auburn being kind of the same, but with a huge like student population that comes and goes, you like, those cops don't last very long if they're not good. If they're not mm. good folk. So I got really, like, I had a good taste in my mouth about policing when I left it. And they, of course, they were like, hey, whenever you want to come back, come back. You know, <laughs> I'm never going back because, you know, like, if you, you can do you can do way better uh, in, in being a privately contracted stuntman than you could ever do being a police officer. I mean, I, I saw my, my supervisors in their mid-60s, you know, like you're talking about, like, captains and, and whatnot. And they're, you know. It was like nothing compared to what what like the average beginner is making in stunts now, yeah. and I just really, I hate that for the industry. Like I, I really do. I, I shouldn't say like policing is the industry. I, sh I hate that for the for the profession, hmm. because policing is a very it's what we want out of police officers is like this really high level of like legal training and high level of physical uh, restraint training and high level of shooting a bit of uh, you know shoot don't shoot uh, tactical ability and all these things driving you have to just have this amazing skill set 
but you get paid peanuts. And it's like, <laughs> so when I got out of that, where I didn't feel appreciated, and then I get in, or I didn't feel like I was able to provide for my family doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I got into stunts, and it was like, yeah, I'm making more money. I'm doing better, like all this other kind of stuff, and I have better health insurance, all those kinds of things. But at the same point, it was like, you don't know when your next job's coming. Yeah. And you don't know how much money you're going to make that year. You don't know any of that, that kind of stuff. You, I mean, so those things matter when you're trying to raise a family. And like, you know, my wife's an accountant. So like she's now be, be all because like we had to learn to do our own finances in that way. It wasn't <laughs> a steady paycheck. So it's like, you know, you go through feast and famine and you kind of go crazy sometimes when you're not working. You got to stay busy. You got to find little side hustles and things like that. You know, like mm-hmm. you got to have all types of things to do. And for example, like if I would have got these this COVID, uh, like, you know, I, I had covid side effects or covid uh, vaccine side effects if i would have had those side effects at the police department i still would have been on payroll and had this ability to take sick leave and you know it could have been put on desk duty and all that kind of stuff wouldn't have had a problem in the stunt industry it's like my body is my job so the second that i can't that i'm not able like 100 able then i'm then i'm i'm done i can't like i can't do anything Mm-hmm. You know, so like being on blood thinners is what I was. And it was like, I could, uh, you can't do stunts on blood thinners. So other than <laughs> a, a day or two thrown to me, but some very gracious stunt coordinators that were like, Hey, just come hang out on set today. You're just going to be an extra essentially, but we're paying like a stunt guy. And I really appreciate that. But even mm-hmm. though that was, doesn't pay the bills. Right. So it's like, you gotta right. have side hustles. You gotta have other things you're doing. It's, it's a little more chaotic. I should say a lot more chaotic. It's but. definitely a lot more chaotic. I mean, the number of side hustles that me and Nikki have is ridiculous because you know we're both in the film industry, so. right? <laughs> so we, you know, we've we've got like six different businesses going all at one time. It's ridiculous because you're right. You never know when you're going to work the next day. And I think one of the funniest things about stunts is the hustling aspect, where you just you can just show up on set and bug the person in charge of in charge of stunts like if you did that in like an office setting you'd be arrested you'd be kicked oh, yeah. out of the building dude some of the stories that the older stunt guys would tell me like they, they said a guy you know he all, always have seen that meme where the guy takes a ladder to random places and he can get into any place because he has a ladder he uh-huh. just like walks him with the ladder and somebody like opens the door for him and i guess he must be doing something important he's got a ladder i knew some stunt guys that said back in the day guys used to wear a tool belt Mm-hmm. And, a, and I have a radio and just walk on the film sets and then take it all off for the set coordinator and give, and give them the set coordinator. And they're like, how'd you get on the set? That's a genius. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, after chameleon. COVID though, after COVID, it put a, a stop to it. If you show up on set now, it's, oh. it's really difficult for newer stunt people unless they have people like there are some certain stunt coordinators that are making the point to hire new people so that people can get in. But it's really hard just to kind of just show up and hustle these days. It's not, it's, it's frowned upon. I'm oh, hopefully yeah. that won't stay that way though. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's interesting. That would, that would definitely damage people's ability to like meet stunt coordinators and get new jobs. I yeah. think like, Oh yeah. There was that one, uh, well, we don't have to get into this because this is more personal stuff than, <laughs> than actually what we're here to talk about. So, you mentioned COVID. Let's let's jump into to your story. So COVID hits, film industry pretty much shuts down for a few months. Um, vaccines start coming out and film sets start requiring, like different companies start requiring the vaccine. Um, what was going through your head when that started happening? Yeah, it was, um, first of all, I had COVID in July before mm. all this was, as, as all this was happening, there were already a bunch of, I think it was, was it February or March when they, they started, I mean, it could have been a little bit later than that, but they all, they all started requiring vaccination. 
And I knew I had, my family had a history of autoimmune. Like I knew it. Like I just found out recently, my parents from 23andMe, I was, I was adopted. So I didn't have a lot of that information, but I recently found out, knew that my mom had lupus. Um, She had just recently told me that, that she, she actually actively had lupus. And, uh, and then my grandma died of multiple sclerosis. Um, And I was like, hmm, okay, maybe I don't want to get a vaccination right now that's that's a mRNA vaccination uh, because it could have an autoimmune flare up, right? And there was a lot of misinformation about, you know, could that give you an autoimmune disorder? And if you look at any information before COVID, they were specifically saying that vaccines could trigger autoimmune uh, uh, mm-hmm. symptoms in people. But the second that the vaccinations started coming out for COVID, all that stuff was like almost impossible to find. Like you had to go super, super deep on non Google search engines to find it. And it was, these were not like crackpots saying this, this was like medical journals and medical establishments saying that like, yeah, autoimmune mm-hmm. uh, can be triggered by this. So I was kind of in this rock in a hard place. Like, what do I do? You know, I didn't want to take this risk. Um, not just for the autoimmune symptoms, but like the fact that it just wasn't tested to the degree that I was, that I would be happy with. Right. I, I wasn't anti-vax. I had just taken uh, a tuberculosis and uh, a perc- percussion, percussion, or what is it? The Tdap uh, okay. vaccine. It's a typical yeah. vaccination pack that everybody takes, uh, you know, mm-hmm. every so many years. And I just came up for that uh, a little bit prior. So I took it, had a fever for about two days um, and it was over it, but I was like, okay. But th- those have been tested, you know, vigorously for decades. Uh, the one that I was had taken had been on the market for like 30 years, you know. So I was like, okay, I'm happy enough with that. Took it um, because I am at always at risk for tetanus because I'm always getting gashed up and cut and all that kind of stuff. So you know, <laughs> right. so it's and but nobody requires that anymore for me as an adult. But I took it, and uh, I was like, no problem. But I just didn't trust all the data coming out, and also I have this kind of like this I call it the cop radar in my in my brain where it goes something's off, like it's really weird how I can't find negative information about this at all. And if it was to be anything else, I would be able to find both sides of the story, right? Like on a on major, and I just saw the media and, and in particular, I don't want to just point out like politics here, but I saw it was like the democratic party and then the media were like lockstep and they were kind of repeating the same information over and over and over again. And then I watched as my, as our union, the screen actors guild put out the exact guidelines that the democratic party would put out not exactly what the cdc would put out but they would even after the cdc would pull certain recommendations or pull certain information or add more they stayed with the same thing that the democratic party would say mm. so it was like this really weird feeling where i was like listen i'm not a republican or a democrat now, i have re- voted republican more than i have democrat uh just in the past because of my views on government but and, and so i just looked at it and i said I don't know if I trust this because it, it gives me all the, all the, like, you know, when you go through interrogation training, you learn how to, how to like figure out when people are lying to you. And I'm like, I'm being lied to. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that I, I just had all these, all these, all these, like, you know, alarms going off in my head. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to do that for a while. So I didn't do it for a while. And then I went out to uh, Oklahoma, worked on a job and I caught, COVID at the, uh, obviously at the airport right before I got there. Cause within two or three days of being there, I started having symptoms and I tested positive and it was more than likely the Delta strain because that's what was going around like heavily at the time. Mm-hmm. And I traveled through Atlanta airport and it's just a cesspool, you know, cause like, you know, first of all, so it's like you're with all these people with this screen door in front of your mouth, calling it a mask, you know, like every, every, nobody has N95s and they're not properly fit. So it doesn't really, you know, an N95 properly fit might, might help but it's like when it's not properly fit or there's down by everybody's nose and it's like the one guy it's just 
So anyway, I caught it and I uh, had it for about probably bad symptoms for about three to four days. Had to drive back from Oklahoma with it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in a rental car. And uh, <laughs> still like gar- garbage. And then I had to quarantine for, you know, uh, eight more days after that or something like that. So I think it was after 10, I think after 13 days, I was, I- I'd already been symptom free for probably five, six days since then. And uh doctor said it was good to get out all this kind of stuff. Then my wife caught it and it was like this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So we're having to like raise our kids and do all, all this stuff with, you know, with COVID. Both my kids never seemed to have ca- caught it. We tested them later and they didn't seem to have any symptoms or caught it, which we know now that kids don't really have much problems with COVID when having it, unless they have major complicating, you know, symptoms. And, but anyway, so uh, I saw all that happened and it, Within two months, uh, like one to two months after that happening, I started seeing it getting even worse. Like at what at the beginning of the year, some productions were requiring vaccinations. Like you mm-hmm. know, Disney and Netflix were requiring it. Uh, actually, I don't think Netflix at the time was requiring it, but they all of a sudden they did, and they sent out these like really heavy letters to everyone that like you know to, that was working on productions, and uh, they told coordinators like what they had to say, and coordinators even if they didn't, they, even if the, the coordinators didn't want to make people be vaccinated they were working on this production and they needed to hire folks so they've put out you know as nicely as they could in their emails hey listen this is a vaccination only show and i understand how some of you feel about that but you know i'm tied warner brothers won't let me do this or netflix won't let me do this and it was everybody it was almost every production company so i'm not singling out one one particular one they're they're doing what's best for their bottom line right like what was happening is the insurance companies i found out this later so i'm not putting it all on the on the production companies but the insurance companies because of the cdc guidelines and because of the way that and depending on their politics as well they would go really hard on covid and they would say if your entire or up to this percentage of you know, your employees aren't vaccinated, then we're not going to provide you COVID relief insurance should your production get shut down for two weeks. Mm. So you're talking about like, that's a huge, that's a huge threat. Like, it's like, if, if you, if one person on your set in like the A zone, which is like actors and stunt people and producers and that zone, if they catch COVID, then your production is just done for two weeks, you know, yeah. depending on production. Sometimes it'll be, you know, 10 days, sometimes it's two weeks, sometimes more, depending if you get another pop positive and you're, just bleeding hundreds of thousands of dollars every time that happens. So you want your insurance to cover you. So you require vaccination for everybody, but nobody was taking into account all the negative things that were happening already as a result of COVID. Like, you know, Mm. Johnson Johnson had been pulled for, which is what I eventually took with Johnson Johnson had been pulled for blood clots. And then they reinstated it with false information saying that it was only pregnant women or people that were on women that were on birth control that were at risk for blood clots, you know, that, that, that men weren't at risk for blood clots. So I've, um, you know, had, I was probably battling this for two to three weeks. Right. And I went super healthy for that two to three weeks because I was like, you know what? I don't really need to have anything in my system that could, you know, I didn't drink or anything like that. I was just trying to have nothing in my system that, that could be exacerbate any issues with this vaccine. Cause I was like, if I take this vaccine, I need to make sure that my body is healthy and ready to go. Mm. So I did. I just like as healthy as I could be. Finally, after making a post on Facebook, like, like, I don't want to do this, but like, I kind of feel like I was kind of being a little bit gaslit, you know, like I was kind of thinking maybe I'm just being a little bit, you know, paranoid or, or, mm. or suspicious or overly, you know, cause you had an entire power of media and government and, and employment all bearing down on you saying that like, you're just being crazy. You're just being paranoid. Like, don't yeah. let these crazy 
right wing nut jobs or whatever these anti government people tell you that that this is dangerous. It's completely safe. It's 100% safe and effective. And then eventually the language starts changing, right? You don't really notice how the language changes slowly, but it does. And so I went to a local Costco because they had the they had the Johnson and Johnson. And the reason I chose the Johnson and Johnson was because, first of all. I looked at the mRNA data and I was like, I don't trust mRNA vaccines yet. I just didn't yet. I just didn't have enough data. So I went with the more traditional adenovirus vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'll go with the more traditional because I know how I handled uh, the Tdab vaccine. I knew yeah. I handled it pretty well. And that's a traditional vaccine. So I was like, okay. And I spoke with my doctor uh, like the week prior when I was still on the fence. And he was like, you should get the Moderna. And I was like, why should I get the Moderna? He goes, well, it's showing to be the most effective against COVID. I was like, I don't care which one's the most effective against COVID. I've already had COVID. He was like, oh yeah, that's right. You already had COVID. You shouldn't get the vaccine. And I was like, I shouldn't get the vaccine. Can you tell my production that? He was like, nope. And I was like, why can't you tell them? He's like, he's like, I mean, what? A, they're just your employer. Like a, a note from me is not going to do any good for right now. He's like, just, he's like, just take the, he's like, just wait, wait six months when it's safe to take the vaccine and take, and take a booster. And I was like, they're not allowing me to do that. And he was like, what do you mean? Because he was in his mind, he's like, the World Health Organization says you should wait six months after having COVID before right. you're required to get a booster. And I was like, why is that? He goes, well, it can be dangerous. And I was like, it can be dangerous? He was like, well, uh, you know, like things can happen whenever your body has already been immune to something. And then you throw a vaccine at it for the same type of immunity. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can trigger like an immune response and it can, you can have a really, really hard time. And it's almost unnecessary because you have natural immunity. And I was like, you say that again for the people in the back, natural immunity. Um, <laughs> so like I at, during that week, I had kind of messaged uh I had messaged back one particular production I, before I messaged two saying like, Hey, I already have, I already have my positive test results from these prior dates. Uh, you know, all available science says that natural immunity is absolutely a thing. But then when you look on, you know, CNN and even Fox and even all these other like major news outlets, nobody was talking about natural immunity. And it had been, that is, that is hundreds of years of virology and epidemiology that already acknowledges viral, you know, immunity, Whenever you get a virus, if you survive it and you're a healthy individual, you're gonna have a positive immune response, mm-hmm. you know. And but everybody was hush hush on it. Fauci wouldn't say it on on television. It, they, you know, you could obviously tell they weren't even they were told not to even ask about it because they were so afraid. This is my interpretation. They were just so afraid that if you mentioned natural immunity, that you opened the floodgates to, yeah. you know, people not wanting to get the vaccine. Like, why would I need For it? Sure. I, I think I've had it. I think I've had it. Even people, and I get it. People that think they've had COVID, like I thought I had had it before. I was like, oh, it must be what I had early in that in the year, whenever it was going around before we knew what it was. Did mm-hmm. have something that was in my chest, that, but I probably didn't. You know, experiencing COVID the way I experienced it, I was like, no, that was very different. It was just very different, like so tired all the, you know, for like, and, and, you know, even weeks afterwards, you're still kind of wiped randomly. You're like, whoa, because what yeah. we know about COVID, so it's a blood and vein virus, a, a blood and, you know, blood vessel virus. It's not necessarily just a, you know, respiratory virus. It spreads respiratory, but it's really, it's in the blood. That's why it affects your hypothalamus whenever you're trying to like sense, taste and smell, you know, because the blood vessels in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you get these crazy fatigue and stuff. It's not just because you're low in oxygen. My oxygen never went below 98. It was, it was, it's really just because it messes with your blood like really bad. It's so um, crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. The, the whole natural immunity thing is insane. Like me, me and Nikki both got it in June of 2020. So like right off the bat, it was great. Um, and, 
I mean, it sucked at the time, but it was great afterwards. You know, it kind of just puts your mind at ease, like natural immunity. I didn't get it again. So I got it again earlier this year. So it took two whole years for me to get it again. And I've gone over and taken care of people who have had COVID before and like never got it, been around them for days on end. I've traveled all over the place and, you know, I've, I, it took two years for my natural immunity to, to fade and, uh, for me to get it again so the fact that and you're right like it's been proven in science for so long that you have natural immunity to things that you just got over. water is wet <laughs> you know it's ridiculous that that was even questionable um and you're right they, they just didn't want people to have that mindset of well i've already had it so i don't need the vaccine they just want everybody to get vaccinated that was the main thing. yeah it was like there were it's almost like this fear response you know like i, I hate whenever we have an overly cautious fear response to anything. Mm. And I understand what they're saying they're dealing with here, but it's really, it was such a, a major lie that everyone was participating in that we all knew was false. Like if you looked at the data, you knew that the people who were dying from COVID, yep. like you looked and it was people with two to three complicating pre-existing conditions, you know, diabetes, heart disease, obesity. Obesity was the big one. That was a huge one. Like if not the main one, because usually the obesity are contributed to the diabetes and the heart disease, mm -hmm. right? So the obesity was the main problem. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm 6'1", 195 pounds, like 8% body fat. Like I'm not at risk for dying of COVID and I didn't die from COVID like as proven. And I, and it took me probably, I'd say four to five weeks to feel a hundred percent after mm -hmm. COVID. I just started feeling good whenever I was like, Oh, now you got to take a vaccine. I'm like, Oh my God, like, why do I have to do this? And they're like, well, and, what makes me mad, and I have to be careful when I start saying this, what makes me mad is that nobody was making me get vaccinated to protect me. Nobody. Mm. Nobody was making me get vaccinated to protect anybody else. That's what they said. They wanted me to get vaccinated to protect their pocketbook. Mm -hmm. And that's like when people talk about government exploitation and people talk about like exploitation of all these different oppressed groups, what about people that just don't like you're just putting me at risk and putting my employment at risk because you don't want to lose money. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's really what it is. Like you, you don't have any, like, and, and I know I shouldn't be surprised, you know, with any type of corporation or anything like that. It's, they're never going to have your best interest at heart. That's a, that's few and far between. Okay. Um, but what I saw was it, it was really weird how people just kind of jumped in lockstep and got this really collectivist mentality all of a sudden and would call you a bad person if you were questioning vaccination and, and then you would show them, hey, listen, uh, you, what, we, I would just discuss with them everything I discussed with you. And they would look at you and say, but don't you care about people? <laughs> and I'm like, I response. do care about people. I'm raising two brand new people right now. And I, you know, contribute to the to society. I like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, giving to charity or charities organizations. My church was doing, you know, countless things in the community. And mm -hmm. I'm like, but you're telling me that I have to take a, dr a drug. Or a DNA with the RNA vaccine, I got to take a DNA therapy, or with a DNA virus vaccine, I got to risk my health, literally. So this person over here, for this like weird argument that I was going to get somebody sick when when we know that if you have natural immunity, you are not going to get the virus, much less give it to someone, right? Yeah. And then it gets in this weird thing about what about immunocompromised people? What about this? This that? Yes, we can cater to those people. Right. Mm -hmm. We can keep the elderly like we can, if you want to pay the elderly to stay at home. I'm not for like necessarily gov government handouts necessarily. But in a pandemic, the lowest common denominator seems 
care for the people that are at the highest risk, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're a, if you have so many complicating conditions, if you're an elderly person, if you have immunocompromisation, you get a, doc, a, note, a note from your doctor, and you're given some type of stipend to be able to have things delivered to you to do all sorts of kind of stuff for a short period of time, you know, to handle maybe. But not the, the 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 solution should never be, hey, we're going to put all of our healthy people at risk, <laughs> just in case, just in case. Yeah, like we didn't have any data showing that healthy people were at risk or at risk to anybody else. Yeah. much less they're you know trying. They were, and the, I, it seemed the stopgap seemed to be the, the child vaccination. And you know, whenever they didn't want to vaccinate vaccinate their children, that's when you knew that people were like, oh, well maybe we should just wait for a second because kids aren't really at danger of getting this. And then you saw the people that were really hook eye and sinker still saying like, no, no, no kids get COVID. Here's an article about this kid getting COVID. And you saw the kid, the kid was yeah, like, like, huge. This, like it looked like the blueberry <laughs> kid. I, I hate to say it. Cause the, you know, the kid, the kid died, but it's like, right. it looked like a, a really large obese child. And mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this child didn't just die from COVID man. Like it, it could have been anything to take this mm -hmm. kid out. Like COVID is especially nasty as a virus, but it's like, you you have to be realistic about who is at risk yeah. and whenever you just start putting a wide blanket solution that's that collectivist mentality that always bothers me that everybody's just like no no we're all taking the poison together and you're like <laughs> no no what, what since when do i have to do that and that's where my libertarian side comes out yeah. you know it's like it's like the libertarians hate this idea of like having to suffer as a whole just <laughs> just as like just as like some symbol to the person next to you that you care well how about i just help you I can just yeah. help you. Like, there we go. Do you need food delivered to your house when you do this? Do you need this? Like, we're really like libertarians are really big on interpersonal help, right? Like, I'm going to help you interpersonally as a friend or as a acquaintance or as a neighbor or as somebody in my community, like mm -hmm. big time on community service, right? And and really kind of like taking care of your circle as well. And, and we were doing those kind of things. You have friends that get COVID, deliver stuff to their to their house. You know, try to get them you know meals, try to get them medicine if they need it. Like help them, you know, help give them advice whenever they're too like you know, bombed out from uh, COVID at the time, like they need to help like finding doctors or finding help or finding treatments and all that kind of stuff. But everybody seemed to be kind of like, nope, we all have to do this strategy together. And that was so anti-American. I was like, never before had I seen American Americans be so just like, I don't know, we're going to do this to morally, to virtue signal to everyone around us how good mm -hmm. of a person we are. And if you don't, you're a bad one. And I'm like, I'm bad because I think. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that anybody should die. I'm just yeah. Too many people like export their thinking to other people. Yeah, and that 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 seems to have been the case. And like, I mean, I don't know how many friends you lost over this whole thing, but I've lost a lot of friends since this all started. And I've gotten accused multiple times of doing my own research and how that's a bad thing. It's like, are you right. like, are you joking? Like. <laughs> America was founded on like individual liberty and people do like people resisting government. And the fact that you're now trying to force what the government wants to do onto me, just because you don't want to think for yourself and do your own research and like actually dive into the topic and handle hard, hard conversations. Like that's ridiculous. It's, it, it really bothers me when people look at science in a religious way. Mm. Um, and, and, and I've, I've said this for the last couple of years, I saw it kind of coming and I was like, people are starting to talk about science like it's a new cult as opposed to a process, mm. right? Because science is supposed to be a process, like actually scientific rationalism is, is the scientific method. You're constantly entering in new, new hypotheses and testing them and never assume that you know everything. 
you know and and it's like the the neil degrasse tysons and stuff that treat science like it's just like if you ever listen to cosmos and listen to these things they treat the scientific journey as like this religious journey like yes. they they have like their patriarchs and they have their their mantras and they have their their rules and laws that they think are like set in stone and if you don't believe this then you're kind of a, a heretic mm -hmm. and it's like but then you watch over the past you know I don't know, a hundred years as slowly science has become, you know, it's changed, right? The, 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 the observations and tenets and like r rules and laws and, and hypothesis have all changed over the years. But some have, some we have learned are correct, right? And we learned through multiple times of testing it, that things are correct. But then we find that other things aren't. And our biggest caveat as a human, as a human race has always been is to assume that we know everything. Mm -hmm. And when people start saying, like, if you don't believe this and you don't believe in science, I'm like, well, the science on this is about yesterday old. So um, <laughs> like this COVID stuff that you're seeing go flies in the face of the last 150 years of virology. So right. um, excuse me if I'm going to need a little bit more evidence to, to believe you in, the, in this sense. And but no, people just like they don't think about it in that way. They really like people are inherently religious creatures. Right. Mm -hmm. it, uh, religion, what we call religion was was our original science. That's what it was like this thing happened why did it happen that's like a very primitive way of looking at it right mm -hmm. and then science was just oh let's experiment with it you think people that were doing religious ceremonies weren't also experimenting they were they just didn't have the correct they didn't always have the correct methods and the correct ways of experimenting and figuring out or they didn't ha have ways of observing all the variables now that we have more you know equipment and, and experience and we've written it all down and things like that we have ways of like passing on the knowledge so we're more precise with it and we call it science mm -hmm. but like there's no there's it's not a it's not a coincidence that that you know modern day western science what we call science now came from you know uh, uh islam and christianity and judaism like from the, the middle east it all came from there because those religious figures had already been training their mind to to test the spirits so to say or to test you know reality and nature and learn more about it as your first scientists were religious were religious people none of the none of your first scientists were just straight up rationalists from the day they were born they were raised <laughs> in a religious structure yeah. and and now people pretend that science just popped out of the ether of humanity and that we just decided one day to, to test this thing and it's like yeah we call it science and and we got out of religion and you're like no you didn't you didn't get out of religion. It's all the same thing. It's it's, it's us testing the, the world around us and trying to figure out why things happen. And and whether you think that's a religious thing or not, but it is. But the way that you act is like the shapes of religion still. It's still mm -hmm. religious shapes. I, like, who did I hear say that? It, it was some uh, some famous psychologist that was talking about like people. No, no, it wasn't a psychologist. It was a theologist. Uh, uh, Peugeot. Uh, uh, Jonathan. Jonathan. He's a Canadian uh, uh, professor, Jonathan Pajot, I think his name is. Okay. But he was saying that no matter what, people continue to act out religious shapes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And that's what yeah. we did now. Especially when things get scary, we become more religious. Mm -hmm. We say, if you don't believe this, you're a heretic and you're putting us in danger. It's the yep. same thing as burning the witch on the, on the, on the stake. It's the same yep. thing. And you can apply that to, uh, yeah, you're right. People are inherently religious and and whether like even atheists, they have some type of God that they worship. Um, it just might not be the God you know, of Christianity or Islam or whatever, but like everyone has a God that they worship in some way, shape or form, whether it's a idea or a physical object or whatever. Um, and there's just no getting away from that. It's like in our DNA. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and you, yeah, cause you can trace all this back hunt like thousands, thousands of years. It's, it's nuts. It's pretty cool when you start looking into all of it. Um, it's, it's cool and it's powerful and it's scary. Yeah. 
because yeah, if we have that, I've, I've posted this before, we have that power and we have to use it for the right reasons. And we have to constantly question mm -hmm. ourselves and say, are we doing the right thing right mm -hmm. now? Is this the smartest decision or are we just catering to our fear and are we let other people and other people know this, right? Like powerful people know this. Mm. They know that we react out religious shapes. They know that people are inherently reactive and and uh, emotional and fearful, and that we that's whenever we're it's the easiest to make us do things that we wouldn't normally do. Mm -hmm. And now we have this screen in front of us, like it used to be television, right? But now it's just like our, our smartphones are right there in front of our face all the times, and they can just like cater the information to you and make you believe whatever you want to believe. And yep. that's the scary thing. And that's the kind of thing that'll get you deleted off of YouTube. The second that you say like, hey, there, the algorithm is is catering a certain, you know, uh, 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 categories of information to you in a certain way. And if you don't believe what the algorithm thinks you should believe, it does kind of just mix you. Whether yep. it be soft blocking you or silent banning you or it's like shadow banning you or just completely banning you and saying like, yeah. deal with it. Oh yeah, no. Th this this channel is going to get all three of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, let's go back to like I want to hear about the day you got the vaccination. Okay. And, and what led up to that, and what happened right after? Like I said, I was real healthy beforehand. I'd recovered from COVID, and I decided to go to the local Costco and get the uh, to get the vaccination because I, honestly, I just didn't have enough money to uh, to to really be comfortable uh, for you know, the next half a year, if I had to wait this, I didn't know how long this was going to go in the industry. Right. Yeah. I didn't know how long they were going to require this, by the way, there's still many productions that are still requiring it. Yep. Um, but it's not hundred percent anymore. Thank God. Like people are kind of softly pulling away from it um, while signaling the correct thing. So I go into Costco, get the vaccine. Um, and I walk around Costco for 20 minutes. Cause you got to have a little waiting period for like 15 minutes to make sure you don't have the allergic reaction. Didn't have the allergic reaction, but the second I got home, which is like a little less than an hour after I gotten it, I just sat down and play video games. I just want to get my mind off it, not stress mm -hmm. out about the vaccine, not kind of get my own head. So I just sat down and play video games. And I started having like this weird kind of like crawly feeling in my muscles. Like it was like this kind of like kind of restless crawly feeling. And it had nothing to do with video games or had nothing to do with what I was doing at the time. And I was like, this is kind of weird. You know, I don't, I don't, but I didn't feel bad. I just felt weird. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And then it went away and I was like, hmm, I feel normal. Okay, maybe I was just crazy. Maybe everything's good. So I started feeling happy and kind of forgot that I'd taken it, right? And but within ten hours, it was like eight to ten hours. I don't remember exactly. Um, and I, it's, it's like rough for me to go back and try to do a timeline because I'm like, Ugh, I just don't want to think. You know, it's like, but <laughs> I, I, I take I, so like within ten hours, it's like it's starting to get. It's like bedtime, right? So I'm, I'm going to bed and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wake up in the morning. I might have a little fever, but I'll feel fine. Man, within a few hours of being in that bed. I started sweating. I was freezing. It was like the worst fever I'd ever had, but my body temperature wasn't actually high. Hmm. And I was like, hmm, because my normal temperature is somewhere around like 97, 8, 97, 9. Like I normally have a little bit lower body temperature. Yeah. And, uh, and, but it was like 96, 9, like 90, something like, I mean, 90, uh, uh, 98, 9, 99, something like that, like right there. And I was like, huh, okay. So it's not that. It's not that high, and I took my blood pressure. Blood pressure seemed normal because I have like a little mobile unit that I just have because I'm, you know, an athlete. So I was like, oh, everything seemed okay, and I didn't test anything after that. But then it just started hitting me like a wave, and I was like, whoa, this sucks. Like I started having full-on fever symptoms. I, well, like I said, it wasn't incredibly hot. I was freezing. Like I just felt so cold, and I felt like I had centipedes in my veins. Like I, like, I felt like I had something crawling in my arms. Mm. Specifically, my arms, but it was other places too. But I really felt, especially my left arm, where I had the vaccination. I had it right here in my left arm. I don't know if you know this. This is probably mirrored, uh, but it's right there, right there on my left arm. 
and because I had a, like a um, the, the muscle injection right there. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of feeling hot, which is, you know, and so I started looking stuff up on Google because I couldn't sleep. Right. I woke up, I had woken up like feeling that way. I actually had fallen asleep before and then I woke up feeling that way and I couldn't get warm. I was freezing. I was just laying in the bed, just like shaking. Mm. And I'm there with my wife and I cuddle up on her and I'm trying to get warm with like other body heat. I could not get warm. She was like, you're so cold. And I was like, yeah. And this went on for until like midnight and I was, and I was, st- it was still happening. And she had eventually had fallen asleep because, you know, she, she had to be up the next day mm. and for the, with the kids and stuff. And I was just like, just go to sleep. It'll be fine. And so I'm laying there and I'm just like, literally, uh, I hate these words, literally shaking. I was literally shaking, but I was like, I was shaking and like trembling the whole time. Finally, I was like, I have to get warm. So I like went to the, to the bathroom and went to the, the, the shower and we have like a rain shower that can kind of rain down warm water on me. And I, and I sat down in my shower cause I was too weak to stand. I was yeah. like, I couldn't stand up. Like I was walking to the shower and the second that I got even close to the shower, I was like, Oh no. And I, I so I started like from the shower off to the side, I started Googling like, you know, hey, is this normal and all that kind of stuff? And Google was just feeding me, just feeding me like everything's okay. All this is normal. You're, this is going to pass. And then I post, I started like detailing it on Facebook. Like the, because mm. I, I was, I was okay as long as I wasn't standing up. Like I felt terrible and I was shaking and I had this like crazy crawling feeling in my arms and my body and a headache and just like all this weird stuff. Wait, I don't think I had a headache. I just felt really nauseous and really bad. Mm. Um, I don't want to like misquote myself here, but um, so I was like, I'm there and I'm like trying to do it on Facebook. And there were literally people on my status now deleted that were saying like, Hey, you're just being a wuss. You can do this. You can like, you know, like, you know, you can handle it. I got it. And I'm just fine. This is the general idea of most people that supported the vaccine. I got it and I was fine, you know? And so I'm like, I'm getting all this bad information from people. So I just, I'm just like documenting it because I'm like, if I die, tonight because i was really feeling like like i had never felt so bad including from covid in my entire life and i've had appendicitis i've had you know some some major i've had bone breaks i've had all types of stuff and i've never felt this bad in my life and with covid being fresh in my mind three months prior so i i understood what crap felt like i was felt crappy really crappy for three <laughs> days worse than any flu i'd had it was worse than any flu i'd had so i was like this feels really bad and everyone's just telling me it's okay you're gonna make it and all this other kind of stuff and i'm just like okay and then like i i was this way until like four in the morning you have to go back and look at my facebook uh, post I, I didn't go back and reference myself so it's just all just raw right now but i uh sometime early early in the morning i was able to finally like get warm enough to where i was like this uh, the, actually I, I passed out a couple times in the shower i passed out came to i didn't know if it was from exhaustion or if it was from what was happening with me and at that point i wasn't making good decisions because my brain was probably swelling like i don't know what was happening i was probably maybe i was overheating myself and i didn't know it i don't know but i was passed out in a shower and i needed to go to the hospital but i didn't i couldn't relay that to anybody because i was yeah. just passed out naked i didn't know what to do yeah um so and, and I wasn't thinking clearly. Um, so I finally wake up. The water's cold. I wake up to cold water. Um, I, I I work my way up to finally get stuff out of the shower, and I wrap up in like three shirts and three three pairs of like you know like pants and uh, compression and all that kind of stuff just to get myself warm. And I go back to the bed, and I'm like shaking for for I don't know however much time until I finally passed out in bed. And I woke up the next morning, and I felt the same exact way. Uh, and I was all like super lucid all during the day. And I called my doctor's office and they told me, yeah, those are normal symptoms from the vaccination. Um, uh, why, why don't, if you still feel this way tomorrow, give us a call. And I was like, 
okay. And I didn't know how to argue at that time. I'm normally a very like, I'm normally a very disagreeable person where I'm just kind of like, no, like I know what I'm talking about. Something's going on. I'm just normally very forward like that. Yeah. And I was so agreeable and susceptible, susceptible and powerless in the moment. I didn't know what to do. I was just like, okay. Cause I was just like feeling like nobody cared and that I was going to die and I didn't know what to do. And I'd never had that feeling. I've had some really, really hairy near death experiences while policing and, you know, and also in stunts and things like that. And I'm just like, I'd never in my life felt that feeling of impending doom as much as I did in that moment. Like death was slowly coming for me. And it was like this gut feeling that, you know, science wouldn't appreciate. Oh, you don't have a gut feeling that you were going to die. But I, I honestly felt like I had something going on and I felt like I had centipedes in my veins. And I didn't even think of like that it could be a blood clot because ever, from everything I'd read, you couldn't feel a blood clot coming on. You could feel one that actually was there. And if you had swelling in the lower extremities and things like that, but no one tells you if you have dozens of blood clots in your body that you don't get that swelling. Mm-hmm. You just get a general swelling all over your body in different spots. And you don't know the difference because it all feels like crap. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you, and you just feel like absolute garbage and you slowly die until one breaks off and it kills you. Like, I didn't know that. So like, and I, and I've, I keep up with medical stuff. Like my body is my temple. Like I, I'm always trying to take inventory of like what, you know, like what's going on. So I didn't believe that, but I still didn't know how to, how to argue with it. Cause they didn't want to see me and you know, I didn't want to go to the, like unnecessarily go to the, to the hospital and be looked at like an idiot because the whole, you know, whole, the whole thing seemed to be, and I couldn't waste any money honestly either. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm not going to spend $500 copay to go to the, the uh, ER just to be hooked up to fluids and tell that I'm fine. Um, cause that's what they were doing to people. It was, right. you know, you go to the ER, you're fine. Like it's just a COVID vaccination. You'll get through it. Uh, because all the data, including what my doctor was saying, all the data doesn't say that blood thing for any man in his mid thirties. That was like something that happened to women that were on birth control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was like, okay. And it went on for another night. And that night I had the most intense nightmares that I've ever had in my life. I didn't, and it could have been all the subconscious stuff that was going on. It could have been my body was trying to tell me something, but I was like having, and I didn't tell a lot of people this, but I was having dreams that I was like, that there was a demon in the room with me and it kept grabbing my left arm. And like, I kept feeling like it was this like, just like burning pain going through my left arm. And then I would like die in my sleep. Like Jeez. then I was just like dying in the dream and I would wake up and this would happen over and over again, but I would never be out of my dream. It was like a, it was like a inception style dream it was like i just kept the, the, the nightmares kept kept churning into a new nightmare and it was intense it was like a, it was like a psychedelic trip but the worst way possible and i just kept dying and this demon kept looking at me and it was saying things like i'm in your left arm you can't get rid of me like i'm in you now and i was just like i don't know if it was like subconscious right like I, I don't necessarily believe in the supernatural in that way i just believe that your body's telling you things to try to process things that are happening in your body like it feels it happening your nerves nervous system's going haywire and it's like trying to say hey something's going on and uh so finally by the third day i call my doctor again and my doc i go in there and and i hate to talk like this about my doctor uh but he looked at me because he knew that i was hesitant about getting the vaccine and he goes dude what's going on and i was like i feel like absolute garbage i I, I was i was more like i'll I'll do the best to like interpret kind of like show you how i was looking but i was like this the entire time i couldn't talk i couldn't look i was like i was not myself like you see how i am now uh, i was i was i looked like i was probably looked like i was hammer drunk i probably looked like i was just like i was just slurring my speech and yeah. my doctor looked at me and goes you're probably just getting yourself all worked up over this thing because you know you're you know 
you're having some symptoms and you know, there can be psychosomatic symptoms involved whenever you're scared about something. And I was like, dude, I'm telling you, I've never felt this way in my life ever. And I've had strep throat. I had COVID. I had all this other kind of stuff. And I was like trying to tell him, but it didn't come out like that. It came out very slurred and very like messed up. Right. And he goes, yeah. Um, so what, what do you think is going on? I was like, can we test to see if I have blood clots or something? He's like, well, you're not at risk for blood clots. I was like, I'm telling you. And I didn't want to tell him I had a dream. <laughs> I'm a crazy person. And I would think I was a crazy person. I was like, fair. you test me for blood clots. He was like, okay, it's probably not blood clots, but let's get you a test. And I was like, okay. He's like tomorrow. And I was like, what? And he was like tomorrow. And so I, once again, I haven't slept in so many days of out and all that kind of stuff. I'm just like, okay. And I just went to my car and just like, I'm a grown man. 30, I was 36 years old at the time. I just bawled my eyes out in the car deliriously. I had mm. driven myself there. And I was just like, called my wife and I was like, I don't know what to do. She's like, go to the hospital. I was like, he tells me that there's no risk for blood clots that I'm not at risk. I'm just making this all up. And she was just like, well, she's like, go. And I was like, no, we'll give it one more day. And then I, same thing happened that night. Terrible sleep. All this crazy stuff happened. And I started having this like, the one thing that did make him want to give me a blood uh, a test, he goes, well, your left arm is a little warm near the injection site and on the lower parts of it. So just to rule out a blood clot, we'll, we'll, we'll send you to get ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Next day, I went to get the ultrasound within 15 minutes. So during the ultrasound, the the the, the technician, nice lady, was uh, was doing this, and she, got, she gets up to my jugular vein. And she already was kind of giving me, you know, I have an interrogation training. So I was like watching her. I was watching everything she was doing, like watching her facial expressions, watching her, the way her body moved, watching the dilation in her pupils. And I'm just like just watching her. And then I'm, and she's, do, she does like my brachial artery. She did all this kind of stuff. And she's kind of changing her body language. And I've had tests before in the past. And I'm like looking at her and then she gets to my jugular vein and I see it. Like, I don't know what a blood clot looks like on a, on an ultrasound, but that was different. And I looked at her. And she looked at me and I was like, do you, do you need to go call my doctor? And she's like, I'll be right back. And she like runs out of the room, like, like a, just short of a sprint, like runs out of the room within five minutes. She's back in that room. She goes, your doctor says, get to his doc, his office right now. I was like, do I need to go to the hospital? She's like, no, he's just going to put you on blood thinners. You should be fine once you're on blood thinners. And I was like, oh crap. So I like, do I have a blood clot? She said, I can't tell you anything. Just go to your doctor. And I was like, okay. Cause they, they can't, they're not allowed to legally to tell you anything. Mm. Uh, the, the technicians aren't. So I went to my doctor. Once again, grown man bawling in the doctor's office because I'm like, am I going to die? Am I, am I, are my kids going to be like fatherless? That's what scares me the most. Like, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of like my kids growing up without a dad. Like my dad grew up, my adopted dad grew up without a dad. Like, and I know how it affected him later in his life. And like his dad died when he was six. And it was like, mm-hmm. I didn't want that for my kids. And my wife had like moved from Europe to, to, for, for here with us to be with me. And now she's going to be by herself with her with kids. And it's like, I, all that hit me at once. And I was just like bawling in the office, but not to mention the fact that he just told me that like, yeah, we found these blood clots. Um, and after you're on this, this medicine for a few days, you shouldn't be at, at risk for blood clots anymore. You know, you should be on it and you shouldn't have any risk of them breaking off and going to your brain. But he's like, he sat there in his, in his office and apologized to me. He was just like, mm-hmm. Hey man, None of the data is was was saying that you were supposed to have blood clot at all. Um, this is obviously, in my opinion, caused by the vaccine because you're a healthy dude. And there's no way you could have this many, like for you know. And I, I don't, I'd already gotten, I'd had my 23andMe tested. I didn't have the heterochromodius, whatever, what's it called, hemoc- the uh, like predisposition towards blood clots. I didn't have that. 
You know, mm -hmm. there's been no history in my, in my adoptive families. I didn't ask if blood clots, nobody had had that history. So I was like, Hmm, uh, I didn't know what to do. And so they put the stuff on me. Also after that, he told me I wasn't going to be able to do stunts for three months at least. Jeez. So I, cause I couldn't, I couldn't hit the ground. I couldn't, I couldn't like get cut. I couldn't get bruised to be, uh, you know, I couldn't take a, a, especially couldn't fall down and hit my head. So, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't even go out and enjoy a, a one wheel ride because, you know, God forbid that you fall and hit your head and crack your skull open. So, and I loved doing that at the time, so I couldn't do it, but it was like, what was really killing me is the fact that I did this for my job right. so that I wouldn't be poor and have, and have to, you know, switch jobs or something like that. Something I'd worked so hard towards like building my career in stunts. I didn't want to quit that. Uh, just, just, uh, you know, just on a maybe. So I did this thing they told me to do. And then now I can't definitely can't work for three months. And at the time I didn't know if I was gonna be able to work after that. Like, cause you know, it, it's dependent on the blood clot stopping formation. So right. if they're still forming and, or if, if it's triggered something in my body that they're going to keep forming, we wouldn't know until after three months. And then now I'm, I, I'm like, I, so every now and then I have like a tingle in my arm or I have like a kind of feeling in my neck. I'm like, Oh God, is it coming back? You know, cause yeah. it scares the crap out of me that like, it, cause I, you know, after I had this, I'd spoken with a, like everybody started hearing my story around like, you know, the local area where kids just started going to a new school and all that kind of stuff. And two of the people that were, were on the football team or the kids were on the football team with my son came up to me and they said, Hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, we really appreciate your story. And it's like, you come out and saying that because we like each of them knew a person that was once separated from them. You know, like one, like a friend of a friend that had died like men in their thirties and one in his early forties mm -hmm. had died in their sleep after being vaccinated within two weeks. Jeez. And they were like, people need to know because it's way more dangerous than what they're making it out to be. And both of these people that were, that died in their sleep were otherwise healthy people didn't have any complicated conditions. Mm -hmm. So that's when I was instantly like, Hey man, they're, they're not telling us something. And I was, that's when I was like, I'm, I'm going to make my story known because the big, the big taboo in the stunt industry is when you get hurt or whenever you have a health problem, you don't tell anybody because you know, if you do, then a stunt coordinator might be hesitant to hire you, not because they're discriminating against you, but because they want to make sure you can actually do the job. Right. And if, and if you're not healthy, you can't do the job, you know, or be guaranteed to have whatever's thrown at you. Cause the big thing about being a stunt person is you need to be able to do whatever is thrown at you in the moment. So I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to work for three months. And I had a, a few stunt coordinators, uh, two specifically, uh, that, that stepped up and gave me a few days here and there, but that still wouldn't pay the bills. Right. So I, I, I've literally had to take to put, uh, putting up Christmas lights on the side for people. Hmm. You know, I was like doing all my safety precautions. I was climbing ladders and stuff, but I was like, you know, anchoring myself in and, you know, sandbagging everything. And it was, it went a lot slower than it normally would have for, mm. you know, somebody of my athletic ability, <laughs> but I, I did whatever I could just to make yeah. ends meet. You know, did you do that with like, uh, Chris Bradley and that group? No, I did it all. all oh, um, like, oh just, just you. Yeah, gotcha. I did. Uh, I did, uh, let's see, was it? I think I did over 60 houses in 30 days. Jeez. Yeah. So I, I, it was, you know, and people were, were gracious and, and give, sent my name around because they had heard of what happened to me. Cause you know, I told a few people here and there, but I, I really just did it as a gift to my wife at first. Like, Hey, I, mm. I did our Christmas lights different cause I have time this year, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and she loved it. And somebody, one of my friends saw it and he was like, Hey, you want to do ours? And I did theirs. And they started telling people in our neighborhood. And before long, I had like 15 people in the neighborhood that wanted me to do theirs. And it was, it kept me busy. Right. But it was exhausting mm -hmm. because I was on blood thinners the entire time. So, yeah. Uh, and it was dangerous. So I always had it in my head. If I fall in my head, like I was willing to, to make that risk. I would have gone out and done stuff on set if I, if I was allowed to, mm -hmm. like, cause I, I have, 
confidence that I wouldn't hit my head or fall and break, do something like that. But I couldn't put anybody else in that position. Like any you know, stunt coordinator that hired me, I couldn't be like lie to them and say that, you know, but if it's just something I'm doing on my own, you know, I'll take that risk and do all I can to be you know, safe. You know, I have a rock climbing history and parkour history. So I know how to, how to, you know, secure myself and how to keep from falling incorrectly. So I have faith in myself doing that, but it was a weird transition, man, going into Christmas. And, uh, I was on it until almost mid January is how long I was uh, on it till. Cause I think I'd, I have to look back at it again. I think it was October 16th that I got the vaccine. I, it's on my Facebook profile, hmm. but it was like mid October. Yeah. And then it was like mid January when I got off of them. So, man, <sighs> that's a journey, man. That, that is a lot of crap happening in three months for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did, uh, how did your family take it? How, like, how are you doing now? Oh man, we're, we're doing great now. Um, you know, I still got autoimmune uh, stuff going on now because of the vaccine. I got this weird redness or like, in like, like flaky skin constantly that never stops. Sometimes it goes away for like a day or two and then it's right back again. And it's not any type of bacterial infection or anything like that. It's just a autoimmune something going on. My skin is reacting and my eyes get real dry and sensitive. And then like the three fingers in both of my hands, I get real bad. Like I'm just like arthritis and tightness in my hands really bad now that I did not have whatsoever prior to the vaccine. I mean, I was a parkour athlete. I've worked with weapons all the time. I'm shooting. Right. I was working with swords and bow staff and, uh, you know, tumbling and, you know, boxing. And like, I use my hands all the time. Never had an issue. Never had any pain in my hands whatsoever, unless I had an acute injury. Right. And, uh, but now this is 24 seven all the time. Now I'm dealing with it. You know, it's like, I'm used to being like in pain just in terms of acute injuries. So this is just right. a chronic thing that's happening, but it's, it takes forever to get into a rheumatologist. You know, I've already had uh, ortho tell me that my hands aren't as a result of any type of injury. So, um, I've, I've got to go to rheumatologist is doing good. You know, uh, actually, uh, tested positive again for COVID, uh, uh, like last month, but I didn't have any symptoms. It was just one when I went on a show and I PCR positive and within, but it was weird because I had a negative PCR at the doctor before I went because I was exposed to somebody that had COVID mm. and I was supposed to go to this job. So just to be safe and ethical, I went before I even went up there because I knew they were gonna have to pay me for travel if I went up there. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to do that. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm just going to test and see this. So I'm not wasting anybody's time. And I, showed the coordinator or the guy that hired me. I was like, here's my negative test that I was exposed to somebody just saying, you no, know, but here's my negative test. He's like, come up, came up, got tested there, tested positive, wow. no symptoms. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll go back. <laughs> so I went back and lost that job. And, but within, I don't know, five weeks after that, I tested negative again, obviously uh, when I went to a different job and uh, mm -hmm. it was all good, but uh, wife had uh, never caught COVID after that. Kids never caught COVID, but they've been doing good. And I, it was really kind of a, it put me in a dark place for a long time, for a mm -hmm. long time, even though I should just be grateful that, uh, that I'm alive. And I am, I am grateful that I'm alive, but it, it kind of has its echoes a lot of times through, through insecurities and, and, uh, just like it throws a monkey wrench in your day to day, you know, constantly. But I will say this, I think it strengthened us as a family, mm. um, you know, like it, it provided a lot of stress. And of course you've had our moments as family where we're all like having stress and fear induced, but overall, uh, I think that, it really kind of my kids grew up a, a little too fast after that. You know, when you almost lose a parent, it kind of, it changes you. And we don't shelter our kids when it comes to mm. the world or, or, uh, you know, bad things that happen or we don't, we don't candy, you know, sugarcoat anything. And right. whenever this stuff happened to me, we told them, 
what happened. And, and we told them like what our plan was and we have to have faith that, that these things are going to be okay. And then when we didn't know if things were going to be okay, we just tell them we don't know. But, you know, one thing's for sure that you guys are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of, you know, family and friends around you. They're going to be here for you. And dad's going to work his hardest to make sure he's here for you. And uh, now I, th- I think that they've fully, you know, there's, I don't think they have negative effects from any of this stuff as of now, but I think it's it brought us closer together as a family. Cause you know, they were kind of forced to appreciate what you have because you really don't appreciate what you have until you, it's almost gone mm-hmm. or it is gone. And luckily it didn't come to is gone. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but it, so many people have had the same thing happen. So yeah. many people. And it's not talked about at all. I've had so many people, uh, contact me, hit me up, say, Hey, I didn't want to say anything because I was afraid of being called a crazy person, or maybe they were a smoker or something like that. And they thought that maybe their blood clots were caused by smoking. They don't know, but like, they're like, I, I didn't know if it was the vaccine, but now looking back on it, I really think it was. And I was like, you know, people have had issues and people have just died. They're like, like, especially like middle-aged men mm-hmm. in their prime. And then you look at all these articles from, uh, from, you know, the soccer, uh, the soccer athletes all the time. Yep. And there's, there's been a, a jump in ath, in athlete deaths, a huge jump in athlete deaths. There's been a huge jump in deaths and it's not attributed to COVID anymore. And people say, well, it's, it's long COVID. No, not really. It's, it's because you keep vaccine and boosting mm-hmm. and uh, unnecessarily. And I'm not saying the vaccines don't have their place. They do. I told my mom, my mom's, in, my mom's in her seventies. She had, she's had uh, a triple bypass heart surgery in the past, mm-hmm. you know, years prior to this, she was at high risk if she, if she got COVID. I told her to get the Moderna. She got the Moderna and she got boosted. She never caught COVID. It was great for her. She did she did awesome. And she had no side effects because she didn't have antibodies for COVID in her system. I'm not it's not that I don't want anybody to get uh va- it's not that I don't want anybody not to get vaccinated or I want everybody to get vaccinated. It's like you should make that decision like consciously and intelligently and with your doctor and yeah. and and maybe a second doctor because we pretend that doctors are like are like the priests of our scientific religion, you know, that like we pretend like they know everything. And it's like, they're just one person that went to medical school and has a specialty in something. It's like, that doesn't mean that they're right about everything. Like Mm -hmm. you could, that's why if you ask two different doctors, the same question, they're going to give you a different opinion a lot of the times. Yeah. Because they're just a person you dealing with the information they have. And that's not talking bad about doctors. Just like, just like any lawyer can't give you the same, you know, answer for any type of legal thing. They interpret it differently. Right. And those people, oh, legalism was made by humans and science is made by nature. Yeah, but we are the ones observing nature and we right. make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely interesting, man. Like it, a lot of it has to do with the whole collectivist mindset. Like if, if you, there's something about it that when you go against the grain in the collective, that is this really scary prospect for a lot of people. Like it's, it's, it's like all these people that have approached you saying they just didn't want to say something because um, they, you know, didn't want to get to, like called a vaccine denier or whatever, whatever it is, you know, um, anti-vaxxer or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's the whole collectivism mindset where if you go against the grain, then you're no longer part of the team. And yeah. if you're not part of the team, we're not going to take care of you. And that's a huge problem. And that uh, that's one of the biggest things that the libertarian party is here to, to try to fix. And that's what we preach is individual rights and doing things on an individual basis so that 
everybody's taken care of in the way that they see fit and the people around them see fit without make, demonizing people who think differently. And it's it's it really it's like so much of the young generation right now is being is being led astray in the sense that they're kind of all taught that you know government's going to take care of you and because mm -hmm. they've had this this wonderful cushion of of this of this comfortable life comparatively to the rest of civilization for thousands and thousands of years right like things have not been this good ever like you if i want food do i have to do i have to go out and kill it or do i even have to go anywhere with my own two feet and go get it do i even have to get in the car to go get it no i can just get it delivered to my doorstep from miles and miles away like last night me and my wife were watching the college football uh, uh, uh games and we were like I don't really feel like going to get dinner tonight and i made lunch and breakfast so i was like can we just get, order chipotle we ordered chipotle at our house like that like it seems so ridiculous that i'm pointing that out but like how good is that and how much does that change your mentality of like bargaining for the future like preparing for the future and and relying on the people around you instead of like these systems that are supposed to work until those systems fail like we, we saw systems fail after COVID, right? We saw like entire like businesses go under and like people have to figure out new ways of doing things. And some of that can be, you know, transformative, right? And we figure out a more efficient way and some of our old ways of doing things were terrible, right? But like sometimes people relied so much on those systems that they forget how to do for themselves. And it's, and you see all these young kids that are, that are, they're kind of getting this idea that every that collectivism is okay. And that like, you know, everyone is on the same team. You're like, wait a minute, who's everyone? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should other other people. We absolutely shouldn't, mm -hmm. but like you should be accountable with your own actions, your own thoughts, your own, your own like abilities to the people around you that, that in your circle that, that you care about and care about you. And we have so many people now that think of the world like it's one big club or think of the world like it's one big like family and we forget that just you know world war one and two we were slaughtering each other by the hundreds of thousands yeah. millions of dead like and, and we forget that that in maoist china and in, in soviet russia that you have over 80 million people uh, like unaccounted people for because they didn't want to go with the herd mentality mm -hmm. like you can never get rid of individualistic thinking because we are wired that way because it, it is it is really the correct way to, to view the universe and my uh, to, to view the human world in my in my sense because mm. the idea of the, the kind of like western thought has kind of come to the culmination of has been like carry your load as as heavy a load as you can personally and individually so that right. so that you become stronger and can take care of those people around you but when you constantly rely on the other people only then it becomes like everybody is less Everybody just does less. Yep. And it's like, no, do as much as you can. And if you do as much as you can, and that guy does as much as he can, and guess what? The person that can't do for themselves, the people that can do as much as they can have plenty of energy to provide for those people because it's not like we have a, a, just a, a resource of energy and it gets drained. It's like energy is multiplicative. It's mm. like you, when we start acting more during the day, when we start getting up and like, I don't know, making your bed in the morning like military does or like getting up and immediately making breakfast and drinking a big glass of water and getting uh, and doing something active, the rest of your day is so much easier. But the second you start, the second that you wake up, the first thing you do, and I'm guilty, the second you wake up, the first thing you do is like scroll Instagram or play a video game or just have your coffee and don't do anything else. Then you just become this lazy pile of garbage that is that everything becomes so difficult 
and everything just becomes like i can't do this thing today and it's mm. like you can do that thing you're just and i have to constantly teach my children that too because they're just bombarded with dopamine every single day you know videos and games and 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 like awesome music and their amazon echo dot and all that kind of stuff it's like mm-hmm. everything we had to take the dots out of the room because we originally just had them there for <laughs> audiobooks and music but like my son would leave it going all night and i would put free time on so he was supposed to be able to like stop at a certain time well you know amazon doesn't they don't like honor that and sometimes those settings just don't work and i'm a tech guy and i'm like why if i put 10 p.m on my on my son's thing is it still playing at 1 a.m it shouldn't be doing that and the answer is I don't know what they're teaching my kids. So I was like, it's out, you know, and I don't like my kid having that constant dopamine rush anyway, go read a book, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. So we just don't get it that like people are going to do less if, if that's the norm, mm-hmm. like the norm should never be do less. And I think I a agree. lot of people just feel sorry for people and they think that they, you shouldn't expect anything out of anybody. No, you should expect a certain level out of people, a certain level of effort. I'm not saying you have to like be the best that you can be all the time. I'm guilty. I can't do that. But doesn't mean the ideal should go away. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we should just get rid of like what are what we're aiming for. The, the the new the new thought with the new generation. And I hate I sound like an old man when I say this. You know, I got gray <laughs> in my beard saying this. But I'm only 37 years old. Soon to be 38. I'm like, wait, am I almost soon to be 38? I always have to think about that. Maybe I'm 37. I don't know. I think I'm about to turn 37. <laughs> I never remember my age. <laughs> I was born in uh, 1985, so do the math in, in October. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's like after you're 35, you just don't remember how old you are anymore. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, but, I agree. Uh, I barely have ever remembered it. <laughs> it's like, it's not to my benefit to, to remember this anymore. Nothing good happens after 30. It's fine. <laughs> but like, we, you're just like, these, these kids don't just don't get it. The, the fact that like it really does matter that you have a goal that you have mm. an ideal that you have an expectation and it's like yeah. the, these I, people think you just throw the baby out with the bathwater. that you mm. know like oh we don't agree with these religious tenets of christianity or we don't agree with this this and that or so we're just going to just pretend that none of that's good you're like hold on like hold on to the good stuff like the stuff that makes you a better person and examine why it makes you a better person and try to figure out how you can either analog that or just take that directly. Mm-hmm. But like, I, it just gets so irritating when people decide that like, Oh no, the best way for my life is to follow the crowd, do what the government tells me to do and, and just like be comfortable and just push my pleasure button all, all day. Yeah. Feed me memes, feed me videos, feed me video games. You know, it's like, ugh, it gets so, it just, I just don't understand how we're not getting tired of that already. I it's agree. Like, I've been there. I've been addicted to video games and all that kind of stuff. It's like, uh, like, come on, man. Like, we, we gotta. It's got to be something different. But like, I only know that because I grew up without that stuff at first. Mm, yeah. And I wonder when you're hardwired that way. You know, you do it from an early, early age. What's gonna happen? Because we're already seeing how fast trends move now, like, and and how quickly things go, and like, you know, like how quickly everybody jumped on the black lives matter bandwagon without even thinking about, Hey, what is this organization that I'm supporting before yeah. being like, why? Like I understand why you're supporting them. Like yeah. we all agree with the sentiment of like, yeah, black lives matter. But like, and why, I also understand why I get upset when people say all lives matter. I understand that. But like, who, who is that? Who is black lives matter? Mm. And then we find out now years later that they're a front. We knew actually we knew this at the time, but all the information was being, occluded and i was trying to tell people this they were a communist front organization the people that were running it were trained trained marxists and that they were actually like uh uh uh, uh 
laundering tons of their money for personal gain. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, so you bought mansions. You bought mansions. You bought cars. You bought all this other kind of stuff. It, oh, the majority of the money raised went to the Democratic Party. It was all political to begin with. Oh, that's right, because it was right before an election cycle. Like, it's like this whole <laughs> thing. So are we, are we going to like – have a, ser- a series of like real ideals and actions that we can take and like mm. things that we believe in, or are we just going to follow the trend? And I think that COVID was so much of that. It was the perfect example of like fear-based trend setting and fear-based groupthink. Yeah. And, and Black Lives Matter was another one of those things. And like, and, it, and I hate that I have to say that because people are going to get the wrong idea just when I say that, but I've tried to explain it as yeah. to what I'm talking about when I say that. Like, are we going to, look deeper and say, why do we think these things? Why do we believe these things? Why do we think this is fact and this isn't? Like, and the second that you don't do that, they're like, well, you don't believe in science. I'm like, no, 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 you don't believe in science. You're using science as your religion. Yeah. It's the same thing as like, I grew up in fundamental, uh, like fundamental Christianity. Like I grew up in, as a Southern Baptist as a child. It was the nicest, what you would call cult you could ever think of in your life. Like it was like one of those things where people actually were living out what they said they were we believed in. My parents were absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful people, and the people, most people that I encountered were. And there wasn't really a lot of this like negative things going on that people talk about. Well, the church was doing this, and people are secretly doing that. Yeah, go to these other organizations and see if you don't have tenfold the amount of that kind of stuff because those people don't have an ideal. They don't believe they're going to rot in, in hell for doing the wrong things. The like Southern Baptists fur, like full-heartedly believed that you would go to hell if you were doing all these negative sins. So <laughs> you, if you don't think that that like fear, at least fear-induced people into doing the right thing, then you're wrong because like, I've experienced it firsthand. There was not like where I was, there was not sexual abuse. There was not all that kind of stuff. Those things just didn't happen where I was. Now those things happen in smaller pockets in like more cult-like pockets where you have smaller groups that aren't accountable to organizations and things like that. But you get something like, I don't know, just a Marxist organization or something that their only ideal is like diversity and, and anti-racism and, and, uh, and equity. And you're like, okay, where in here does it say you shouldn't abuse children? And they're like, what? Well, that's not in your core tenets. Well, that's we're, we're a, a political organization. Well, that's where you understand you can't base <laughs> your entire belief structure on politics. Right. It really has to be based on what what do you want for the what do you want to be in the world? What do you want the world to look like? Mm-hmm. And I think it's something we're we're missing right now because people are moving away from. And I understand why, myself included, are moving away from organized uh, religion, right? And we're t- replacing it with politics and groupthink. Mm. And, and even, you know, and, and that's, I think a lot of libertarians are disillusioned about like, you know, all this, any, any, any group thing whatsoever. So like, you know, a lot of libertarians are anti-religion or anti, uh, you know, government, anything that's like a group of people telling you what to do. Right. So <laughs> yep. it's like, no, I'm gonna do it for myself. But then I think that as people start to mature and kind of become more, a little less Ayn Rand and a little more, uh, what should I say? A little more, a little more like Rand Paul or like, uh, 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 Ron Paul, Mm-hmm. Where they're a little more like, okay, it's it's more so about I'm a libertarian on a on a governmental level, but yeah, maybe I'm a communist when it comes to my family, right? That's okay. that's and that I, I think that's the way to look at it because you can't. I know I'm just going off in the weeds here, but you can't <laughs> you you can't take one ideology and just blanketly put it over everything because the world isn't your family. They're not. I hate to tell you, the world is not your family. You will be able to tell who your family is because of the people that are looking out for you and you're looking out for them. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's just in terms of like who you share with the question becomes, but yeah, but like, how, what do you do with your family? Is it, is your ideology different from your family for society? And people act like it all should be the same thing. And it really should not be mm-hmm. now. And I know that 
Christianity does teach that like, you know, love, love your neighbor as your brother, love your enemy. But that doesn't mean that you just like give everything you have to those people. It says give it to the poor, but like, keep it small, like keep it close to you. Right. Yeah. Because then it's all connected to me and you. It's like the, the idea is like communism works in, in groups under a hundred. Right. Mm. Because everybody has to look each other in the eye. Everybody right. has to be accountable person <laughs> to person for what they're doing. But the only thing that keeps me accountable in a government is not getting arrested. Mm. You know, like not having a gun put in my face and saying, you have to do this. Like that's, that's how government runs ultimately. Cause everything's backed up by the, by the, by the barrel of a gun. Mm-hmm. But whereas in like a like person to person, it's like, I can look at you and go, Hey man, you're kind of being garbage right now. You're not helping us. You're not helping this group. <laughs> and we gave you food for the past week and you're not disabled or having issues. Like, can you please contribute? And eventually that person's either going to contribute or they're going to be shamed into leaving or into contributing. It's like, that's how it works. It works because we as humans, we're interpersonal, but these big structures never maintain because it's not built on personal relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same reason why the Protestant reformation happened. It's like this big government organization, the Catholic church telling you to do these things because God said so, because the government of, because the Catholic church, the theocracy told you to do it. And if you don't, you'll be excommunicated. It was a very governmental affair. Protestantism tried to make it into a personal relationship, something inside of you, a conversation that you had, and then interpersonal with the co- other people that were just like you in this congregation, that that kind of like that contract that you made. And that's why it tended to work, and Christianity was extended, and mm-hmm. it continued to have an effect in the world. I'm not saying it's the only world, only the only right worldview. I'm just saying that's why we were able to build the world that we have built to this point. And it didn't all fall into oblivion as it always has in history. Mm. And it's fallen. And it's always because government gets too big. People become unaccountable on a personal level and you can't make people do anything they don't want to do. Right. They have to, the change has to come here. They have to want to do it. Yep. Yep. Got a good quote for you. See if you can name the, the author of it. It's a long one. Freedom is not defined by safety. Freedom is defined by the ability of citizens to live without government interference. Government cannot create a world without risks, nor would we really wish to live in such a fictional place. Only a totalitarian society would even claim absolute safety as a worthy ideal because it would require total state control over its citizens' lives. Liberty has meaning only if we still believe in it when terrible things happen and a false government security blanket beckons. I mean, that sounds like some of the classics. I mean, it could be... That could be like a like the school of thought, or like Hobbes and Rousseau, like nature versus nurture. But I don't, I don't know. I don't it's know. Ron Paul. Oh, that was Ron Paul. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded very like classical in the sense, but yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I yeah. agree. That, and that that applies to so much of what you just said. It was when you were talking. I had been looking up Ron Paul quotes. I'm ending my movie with a Ron Paul quote, um, one that comes out on October sixth, uh, and. I came across that one today and thought that was freaking great. Like just too many people value safety and export their safety, just like they export their thinking. And then once you export your safety, you're no longer safe. Yeah. yeah. And that's and why no a, freedom. That's why there's <laughs> such a push right now for, for people to, um, you know, there's, there's, there's like a push in, from the, the governmental and corporate types where they're all trying to control what's happening. You know, the, the food, they're trying to control the food distribution trying to control who can get medical and what kind of medical they get. They're trying to control everything. And it's like, they they may have 
maybe you can assume they have you know a good good intents right like maybe they have pure intents they're trying to make a better world right but even even every civilization that ever conquered another civilization by war and slaughtered and raped millions or thou- at the time thousands of people not millions or millions of people really in ancient history but um <laughs> the, the, like conquered raped enslaved all this they all did it in the name of making a better world mm. every single one of them did that and it's like but if you're sa- if you're if you're like in argument is the ends justify the means you might need to examine your heart mm. because people are not going to change at the point of a sword not really no you know it's like solzhenitsyn talked about that a lot in the gulag archipelago he was like talking about like how people everybody was feigning or faking this you know compliance with the government but everybody was like secretly rebelling in certain ways right but everybody was just so fearful of the government what they were doing uh because there were a few like really diehard like before long they all started like believing this like not not believing they all started acting out like they believed something but their heart wasn't in it. So like, you know, you had really ineffective workers. You had really uh, like, uh, you had a lot of corruption in government. You had a lot of like, even though their entire government was supposed to be built on equality, there was no equality. You know, like the top, the top 1% owned all, still owned all the, 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 the means of, of, you know, production and, and all the money and resources mm-hmm. and everybody else was just equally poor. And, and I know my wife grew up in the former Soviet Union. She grew up in Latvia. Mm. So it's like they experienced what it was like during the Soviet Union. And then, you know, she was born in 83. So it's like she experienced like after that fall, like how life slowly started changing mm. to where like, oh, if, if I work really hard, I, if I work harder than my neighbor over here, I can actually have more than them. If I <laughs> if I do this and I can buy property. And I can, you know, and I can, and at the time property was cheap when I'm so even fell. So like her mom, like was, you know, they, they could buy their property and all that kind of stuff. So they did that. And they actually had, you know, things to take care of themselves if, if they needed to sell their property and, and, and money and invest it somewhere else and do a business, which they did. They were able to go from nothing to finally able to have something to be prideful about. Not something that was just being handed to them, like, you know, like going to the store and having to you know, get this amount of bread and this amount of meat and this amount of cheese because your family was allotted this amount, which is how it was. So you'd essentially give them like food stamps in the mail mm-hmm. that you would get and take to the store and that's what they would give you. And you're all doing that with equally poor people. And then you see other people and like, they got a refrigerator and they got a really nice car and they got all that stuff, but we're all supposed to be equal in this government, but we're not. It's like, what's the deal here? And the answer is like, it's always going to be the same. There's always going to be people that are willing to break the rules so that they can have more than other people. And they're always, always going to be people that claim that they're going to usher in the utopia and they're going to free you all from slavery. And they're going to free you all from this other group that's oppressing you or from this economic system that's oppressing you. But it's, it's all just a lie. They, they, they really just want you to hand over your resources, your power, your um, agency over to them. So that they can now collectively use that to to you know uh, invoke power over everyone else. Yeah, and it's like this like, and you think that we would have a different. You th- you think that by the time the internet came, it, it was so it was so hopeful at the beginning of the internet, right? And it was like it was so hopeful that everybody was going to be able to like spread ideas and talk about them, and it really was like the wild west for a while. And then they start fear mongering you. And I, how long do you have here? It's we're at a minute twenty four. I can keep talking, so I, I don't care. <laughs> uh, now finish this thought. Finish this thought. So like we like, we get into this idea of like. At the beginning of the, the the internet revolution, there was like there was like the wild west. I remember going on to like you know different chat rooms, things like that. People would talk about anything. We'd argue about stuff. We'd debate. We'd have a, a good session about that. And then slowly, you know, they would start spreading 
like certain rumors or like uh, really kind of like pushing certain news stories and things like that. And it kind of slowly makes, takes the opinions away from people. So for example, people do used to be under the same common concept in America that guns were a fundamental right, right? That the guns were the reason that we had guns. It was a known fact that the reason why you had guns was, was to, especially in the South, that the reason you had guns was for and foremost, personal protection against other people, you know, should something happen or wildlife or whatnot, but even more so, and, 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 I would say if equal, if not more so for protection from a tyrannical government. And that was a very common idea is like the only way I can protect myself from a person with a gun is to also have an equally powerful weapon, meaning a gun <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like something that I can use just as quickly and just as dangerously. And it wasn't looked at as something negative. Right. But then you slowly watch how they, they start really kind of like, and, and school shootings were a thing before Columbine. They were. But it was when Columbine started and started all these different things. They started like really highlighting these school shootings and really highlighting every single shooting that you saw. And then faking all this information about and like cherry picking their information. Me as a criminologist, I was absolutely appalled by the way like Vox and all these different companies were were using criminology and criminal justice statistics from the FBI, like using all these crime uh, crime reports, how they were like – cherry picking the data and then redefining mass shooting and all this kind of stuff when the, like they were just including all the shootings that were happening gang related in new york city and chicago and all these other places and applying it blanketly to the rest of the united states and be like this is why we don't need guns and you're like oh by the way all those guns were mostly handguns and, and the, but they want to but they want to ban ar-15s and all this kind of stuff so we used to think that these were like fundamental rights and then mm-hmm. they slowly through the media and through the stuff and through making people want to feel like they're the like they're the good ones. They're not the people that are like that are they want the best for society. They're not like savages like those other like the Gauls were to the Romans and things like that. Like <laughs> like the governments like the Romans now and like the, and all the people that don't agree are the barbarians, right? It's mm-hmm. the same idea. It's like the it's like the you know even in ancient uh, uh, Crusader Christianity, it's like you know we're going to we're going to Christ, uh, Christianize these as a fly on my head. We're going to, Christ, <laughs> we're going to Christianize these other barbarian nations. They don't believe the same thing we believe. So we got to make them right. You know what I mean? But like, so we have all these beliefs that we, that seem to work for us as Americans. And then we're slowly having them stripped away because we want to feel like we're good people. Yeah. And we want to be like, we want to believe what they're telling us because we're not willing to do our own research. And so like gun rights are one this whole idea about vaccines being like the, like us knowing what we're supposed to do is vaccines being stripped away from us and like slowly the information changing, even though like they're having some pretty significant kickback from real doctors and, and real research scientists and even people going undercover, like, you know, project Veritas. And I know that's a huge like fupa to say like, Oh, we can't talk about project Veritas. Why not? Their, their interviews are real. And those are real people from those companies that are saying like, Hey, what we're doing is kind of garbage and what we're doing is kind of fake and laughing about it. Yep. And it's like, people say, oh, well, people wouldn't do that. Yes, they would. If, if you line somebody's pocketbook enough to make them comfortable, they will do anything you want them to. The majority mm-hmm. of people, the majority of people fall on the, on, on the very side of agreeableness. They want to do whatever is convenient, expedient, and, and easy. And if you just give somebody enough money to live, a contract to live for the next 15 years and make them fib, they will do it. They will 100% do it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so naive to think that, we aren't having our information and our stuff like chain basis and slowly kind of, you know, going into a different way. This is the right way to do things now. Like how long did we believe that, that women weren't making as much as men by doing the same jobs? Like how long did we believe that? I didn't because I was like, wait a minute, 
no, 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 no. That's not been my experience. Like when I was working at the police department, the girls were making the same as the guys more sometimes because they needed women. So they offered them more. So it's like, and I understand that was policing, but I was like, I don't know if that's true. So I just didn't believe it. Right. So mm-hmm. people, I, but I saw dozens of my own friends on Facebook and all that kind of stuff, screaming to the rooftops about how women were oppressed in this country and all this kind of stuff. And it makes me sound like some type of men's rights advocate. I'm not, I'm at all. I'm just like, dude, I'm just like, just be a realist about this. Like I, I like, my wife is so much smarter than me when it comes to working with numbers and accounting and stuff like that. I just don't think, but we're not equally yoked in that way. But like, you know, I am physically more like more like explosive and powerful than her and whatnot. And there's, I love this type of uh, philosophy and psychology. She hates that kind of stuff. So everybody's just <laughs> different, right? There, but there are some like things that we can compare and say, okay, we're different in these ways, but what ways are we, are we the same? And, and the ways that we're different, are we really different in those ways? Or are you just cherry picking data to, to make somebody mad? And mm-hmm. when you look at the data and things came back years later, only because the right-wing media came back and like made it their mission to get, to write that wrong. And some people were saying they're just being apologists, but they're not like women are making more than men are comparatively in the same job fields up until they have children. Mm-hmm. And so what we're saying so what we're saying is that women are going to have to choose or, or we're going to have to pay women more, even though they're going to not going to be able to do the same amount of work while they're, you know, in the young times of childhood. Mm-hmm. But so you're basically saying that you should just give women more money. It's like because and you're also saying that they, they should also not get married because uh, the typical thing would be if you're married and you and your husband are equally yoked and you both have like a job and are contributing to the marriage financially, then you, the women should be able to go and, and raise her child and have maternity leave. But no, you're not, it, it's not going to be the same. You're both, one of you is, if not both are going to have to take on the primary responsibility for the children. Like whenever I was early being a police officer, my wife, my, my wife was the, was the primary uh, caretaker for the kids, right? She mm-hmm. actually ended up quitting her job to take care of the kids. Now she's taking, she's taking her CPA exams. She is in the books 24 seven. She's getting her master's degree in accounting and working. And I'm doing stunts, but like stunts is like one of those things that's a couple of days here, a couple of days there. Mm-hmm. I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm doing laundry. I take the kids to and from. I'm the primary caretaker. I'm okay with doing that because this is this is a this is like a loving a loving agreement in our family that we're looking out for each other, right? It has nothing to do with being a man or a woman. Like I understand tradition, I understand that it's a conversation we should have, but it's like we just lied to women and told them you're being like you're being excluded from society or you're being unequally paid for doing the same jobs when you weren't like you really weren't it had there were reasons behind that and Mm -hmm. and and so the reasons behind that should be like okay maybe you're not going to be able to have a kid and be a ceo of a company when your kids from you know zero to five years old you know maybe you're going to have to be able to or or you're going to have to be able to afford a a, a, you know full-time caretaker Mm -hmm. so and but that's just part of life adapting and yeah maybe there's sometimes we need to change a system maybe some things need to be changed but you don't start with the resentment you don't start with with anger and pointing the finger at a group and saying those men over there are just being given things and they shouldn't have them and we're and i was like man it still feels like every new topic is all built on resentment mm. it's all built on like i'm just angry that i and it just it provides a hope black lives matter same thing Police, police shootings weren't happening because because cops were hunting black people in the streets. They weren't. Like uh, me as a criminologist, I could sit here and have done for hours and tell you why they're happening. As a former police officer, it's it's because of the 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 climate and the community. 
it, mm. it's the it's the tradition of the of the culture, the climate in the community, the vast larger amount of crime in those areas, and the over policing of those areas as a result of higher crime rates, and the request of the communities to be in those areas. So it's like, and and you also see as Black Lives Matter got like more and more. Uh, 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 influential, and this this narrative about police violence became more influential. You saw more and more black people, whenever they're being pulled over by the cops, being confrontational, hmm. and not 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 your people that are actually like you know going to to their day to day and just trying to get through their day or just having a bad day, but like people that were dealing with mental illnesses and hmm. people that were dealing with extreme poverty and people that were dealing with with other things in their life that were debilitating or drug addiction, especially is a huge one. George Floyd, that was a huge issue, right? So you're seeing like this huge issue with drug addiction. And those are the people that are getting shot. Those are the people that are like fighting the cops and pulling out things that look like guns on the cops or acting like they have something or getting really violent towards the cops. And there was this big lie that it was only happening to black people, but it wasn't. It was happening to white people too. It's just the poverty rates and the and the, the the psychological trauma rates and the and all these other rates were higher in the black community, and these things were happening as a result of more context as well. There's many reasons to explain it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't because racism. It really wasn't. And if you're going to talk about systemic racism and how they how they've like restructured what that means, then you can get to kind of to the same place like i've had so many conversations with with uh you know um uh black right advocates and things like that talking about how these situations can be quelled and fixed and many people really want to fix them but the media was not going towards actually fixing anything it was all about getting everybody angry and get everybody riled up so that they would violently they violently protest in the streets and then we get their voting numbers up and they were trying to trying to uh trying to uh, mobilize the white woman vote because white, white women, when they don't have anything else to, to do at the time, it's like everything's so good. So there's like, we got to go fight for somebody else because we feel sorry for them or feel bad for them. And I want to feel like I'm a good person, you know? So I was like, that can be used for good, but it can also be used just to follow the newest trend. You know, mm-hmm. I was listening to Andrew Schultz and he was saying that. <laughs> dude, that dude, I've heard that one. That dude's hilarious. He was, yeah, he talks about like how, uh, like, it's like, it's like you're bored and you want to feel like you're making a difference. And it's like, and it, but it, it's so true. Like, uh, and I love how comedians, you know, regardless of their, of their political affiliation, like Andrew mm-hmm. Schultz all over the place, just call out and speak it. Just, just say the, say the truth. And like, and if it makes you uncomfortable, it's probably true, bro. Like mm-hmm. there's some things they can say about me and it makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like, that's because it's true and I need to work on that, mm. you know? And I, I think if we all started right here first, then we could be like, okay, the world would be a lot better. Now it can't, it can't stop there, but it has to start here. It has like to. Yeah. If those peer into your own soul and, and, and see the darkness, that's Carl Jung talking yeah. about, you got to peer into your yeah. own souls, see the darkness, accept it for what it is and use it and then and integrate it instead of pretending that you're all holier than thou, that you could never be capable of that violence. You can never be capable of that negativity or that mm-hmm. anger like, you people, totally people don't like doing that people don't like looking deep into themselves that's, the it's painful yeah yep. so that's when they turn it on everybody else cody i feel like we could definitely keep this going for like six more hours um, for sure but you know. <laughs> we're gonna have to have you back on when we have other interesting topics to talk about because you're clearly uh, a wealth of knowledge and know a whole bunch of things about different stuff so we're, we're gonna have you back on at some point um what what would you tell let's just end on this what would you tell someone who is wanting to to look into new ideas and change their mind about things but they don't know how or they're scared to the way i do it 
and I can't really give anybody. I, I'm, I would just give people the same advice of what I'm doing because I would feel like a hypocrite if I didn't. But mm-hmm. I would say people t- say people say, oh, stay in the middle, and that's how you find out the truth. I don't believe that. Like you need to look at both the extremes first. You need to like look at like that's why I have CNN and Fox News as my first two news things that I look at them and say, okay, what are they saying? Okay, now I'll look into it. Right, I see what both they're saying about a topic, and then I then I seek out the truth. So it's what are the extremes saying? And if they're both saying very different things, that's when you ask yourself, why? Why are they saying these two things? And then do your actual own research into it. Don't trust scientific papers just because they're scientific papers. Like really trust your own gut on a lot of things to begin with and then start searching out things. And if you start seeing things that, that counter your own gut, then maybe you need to start having real conversations with real people. And you really need to talk to people that don't think like you. You need to have somebody that can you can bounce ideas off and say, hey, I don't I believe this thing. What do you believe? And if they say they believe something different than you, instead of getting angry and and trying to defend your position, just ask them why. Just mm. ask them why and try to understand where they're coming from. And then from there, you can actually start to change your own opinions in, in the best way possible. But if you don't trust your own opinion, if you feel like you're not informed on, on something, it's just better sometimes not to take a hardline stance. It's better sometimes to just kind of like speak what you think. Don't be overly adamant about what you think, but speak what you think. So that if you don't, if, if other people can give you more information, they will. But if you mm-hmm. never speak it, if you never say it out loud, if you don't exercise your freedom of speech, if you're too scared because of whatever, then you're never going to be able to like actually work out your own opinions and beliefs or what the truth is, because that's why our freedom of, of speech exists so that we can test our ideas amongst each other and the more that gets shut down the more we're going to be an issue so it's just like hey be an advocate for free speech first of all and that will actually lead you to the to the truth look at the extremes then find the middle love it cody thank you so much for coming on the podcast man thank you brother thanks for having me um if you found this conversation interesting informative whatever like subscribe follow share all the stuff um if you need more information on libertarian party Uh, Go to lpgeorgia.com. There's a whole bunch of info there. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a good one, brother.